mission to explore the far reaches of cinema. Three daring adventurers dive deep into the Criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Cynonauts! Hey, I'm Ian. I'm Boom. This is Catcher. And welcome to the third episode of Synonauts Exploring the Criterion. <laughs> I'm going to be excited every time we start. As you should. We're on our third episode now. Uh, we're going to be talking Rafiki in a little bit, which was Boom's pick. Yeah. But before we get to that, uh, how were you guys' weeks? What did you guys do? What did you get into? Trump is gone, homie. For Trump now. I mean, gone. he's obviously going <laughs> to try his hardest, but man, that was Saturday was the greatest, most relieving. Yeah, it was a wild week for sure. I can't even imagine what it was like for you, Ian, at, like actually being in the States. Yeah, I watched CNN for honestly like eight, nine hours a day. Oh it was God. on TV just like constantly. Yeah. Was your brain just melting? Before. Yeah, it was It was, It was. was a roller coaster of emotions coming from Tuesday night to Wednesday and then Friday things looking up and the Saturday morning was fantastic and then now we just have to deal with all the shenanigans uh, <laughs> going on. <laughs> That is coming up next, yeah. but hopefully it all works out <laughs> for everyone. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Which, yes, thoughts and <laughs> prayers indeed. That's that's what we want to hear. And it's, it was funny, though, seeing all the celebrations across the world. I saw a tweet that was like, if you have one goal in life, you should live your life so that the entire world doesn't celebrate when you lose your job. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that too. I saw that too. That's amazing. Yeah, we were, uh, Toronto was also getting lit over here. I saw a bunch of uh, Instagram stories where people were like cheering on their balconies and like banging pots and pans together. So <laughs> us Canadians are very happy for you. That that That's good news, except that I really wish it didn't require that much celebration. But hey, yeah, right. I'll take it. <laughs> Sign of the times. So let's, let's catch up. What have you guys been watching, listening to, all sort of stuff? Who wants to go first? Last episode, I talked about um, starting to watch the show Happy Valley. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'll go every week. I'll update you on where I'm at. Well, I could stop myself after watching episode two. And I watched the whole series wow. like over a span of like a few days. And uh, it's awesome. It's so good. Um, the sh- I listened back to the episode and the show I described is so not what the show is really like. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just it's just a little bit more straightforward and definitely not as jokey as it appeared. And uh, it's so good. I'm not going to spoil anything. I just think anyone who likes a good, like, six-part UK crime drama. Always. If that that tickles your fancy, then just go and turn it on and just get through the bad sets at the beginning of the first episode. Just get past that. And then it's all uphill. It's all all good. It's all good from there. Everything will make you feel good. So Happy Valley is a big recommend for sure. Nice. Anything else? Or that was your big, you just watched however many hours of Happy Valley? Um, I watched Star Trek, the 2009 mm-hmm. Star Trek. Was, was I love that movie. Quinto? It was Zachary Quinto and Chris Pine. That movie is easily JJ's best movie I think he's ever made. And it's so pitch perfect. Casting in it is excellent. Even like the really the most goofy, like with the hands when his hands are all super big and large. I don't even hate it for that. There's so much fun to watch on screen. And I think it's 
yeah, it's so it's a perfect movie. It's shocking how good it is. Oh no, then, I was gonna say I think we were all talking about this semi recently. Um, cause I haven't really followed Star Trek much, but I went to see that one in theaters and that's when they introduced the 4d screens. Do you, do you remember mm, that? Mike? Yep. I, I feel like me and you maybe even went to it where they did like one big yeah. screen in the middle and then the two screens on the yeah, side. Yeah, There it, were right? two screens on the side of it. And then like nothing was happening on those screens. It was just kind of like galaxy, like wallpaper. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it was so trash. It was awful. So the size of the screens yeah. didn't change with the movie. It was just static the whole time. Yeah. So sometimes it would expand mm -hmm. the image across all three screens, like in like more actiony moments. Um, but then when there was nothing to sort, like when there was just a scene of two people talking, um, as an example, they would be talking during like warp, and you get all this weird, like spacey vibe stuff playing on mm -hmm. the two other screens. It was a, it's so stupid. It was the worst way you could ever watch a movie other than like in those seats that move and stuff. Yeah, they have, they have those. I don't think it's called 4D. It's like 4X or something mm -hmm. where like the seats move. And I'm like, that just seems like an awful way to watch a movie. Yeah. yeah. I would never want to do that. We have <laughs> like something called D-Box. I, I don't know if you guys have that as well. Never heard of that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the similar thing. It's like with like the motion censored seats or whatever. And they are so loud, like they rumble. So you'll be in like the washroom at the movie theater and you'll be, you can hear them from the other theaters and you're just like, is this an earthquake? They're not good. Never watch a movie in a seat that moves. No. Unless it's a recliner. If it's a recliner, <laughs> that's acceptable. Otherwise, just sit in a regular seat. So boom, I know we have to have you seal the deal and close the case on the trial of the Chicago 7 which Catcher and I are split on, so we will get to that later. So for me, I'll go first. So for me, I watched a whole bunch of stuff this week. I always watch a lot of stuff, but the ones I'm going to call out, uh, I watched Possessor, which is Brandon Cronenberg's uh, like second or third feature film, but first in a while. He's the son of David Cronenberg. It was good. I, I, I gave it four out of five stars. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was hard not to make comparisons to his dad's movies because it is very much um, like his dad's movies. It's like techno thriller, body horror type of stuff, okay. but it was good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I described it. It was like Existence meets, in, meets Inception meets Face Off. Um, oh, Face yeah. Off. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I'm, ex I'm excited. I'm watching it with my friend tomorrow. So Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. It's pretty brutal, but I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I rewatched The Social Network for the one millionth time, mm. but I did it differently. I, I actually had the screenplay up in front of me and I read it along as I watched it. I've Ooh. never done that before. Very cool to do. Super like nerdy and like time consuming to do. It's like sitting um, down with a vinyl and like reading along the lyrics. Yeah. While yeah. you're listening to the song or whatever. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure which like version of the script I got. Um, it was just online somewhere, but uh, there are differences in it. So it's cool to see the differences and, you know, the nuances that were made there. The biggest takeaway is that um, in this script, Sorkin had a bunch of like pop music. Like he queued up like this song is going to play here. And I'm really glad that they went with uh, just Trent Reznor and as Atticus Ross's score for basically the whole movie because it's just perfection. It's so um, good. So that was cool. Yeah, I, I see myself wanting to do that and being, you know, continue doing that, some other stuff. And then the last one I want to shout out was Dave Chappelle hosting SNL. Ooh. Thank you. I wanted to talk about that. I'm so glad you brought it up. That's yes. Yeah, so in 2016, after Trump won the election, uh, Lauren Michaels tapped Dave Chappelle to host Saturday Night Live and he gave like an extended monologue about it, uh, about Trump winning, which was also very good if you haven't seen it. Uh, and then he followed up again this year and 
you know, most monologues on SNL are like three to five minutes and he went for maybe 20, 25. And I was, it was all time. Like he's so good at making it these incredible jokes and then just like twisting the knife and be like, Oh, wait a minute. Like take you back to reality of like what's really happening. Um, so even if you don't like SNL, just search on YouTube, his monologue. And it's, it's incredible. He's, he is like a genius. And I, I read a good tweet where it was like, you know, he was a comedian and he's now become like an orator and sort of like a, you know, a speech giver who happens to be very funny. And I think that's like a perfect way to describe him. Did either of you watch, watch that? I've only seen clips of it here and there. So I haven't watched like the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I've seen so far, it is very funny and very insightful. And Dave Chappelle is very great at doing both of those things. So yeah. 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 I did something that I've never, ever done before, which was I planned out my night around SNL, which (laughs) I, I know was like a thing back in the day. Um, that's not a thing I ever did like growing up, but I knew he was going to be hosting and I just needed to be there to hear exactly what he had to say. Cause I just feel like I know that he offends some people sometimes and I don't like to have people feel offended. I think the things that he says more often than not are more insightful and, mm-hmm. and are presented in a way that regular real people can actually understand the complications of things that are going on. And I just think that's what for me, I, that's the kind of comedy that I like. I love really mm-hmm. insightful, smart comedy. Um, not all comedy has to be that way, but it's just the flavor that I love. And he does it better than anyone else. Like, there's probably like two other stand-up comedians that have been as good and as powerful as he is. So it's such a blessing to be able to like listen to him whenever he's talking. And I've he's been on some platforms recently, a few different things like on David Letterman's uh, Mm -hmm. interview show on Netflix. He obviously did that uh, short uh, stand-up set for Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, He was also in A Star is Born. He was was also also in A Star Star is Born. Born. That's That's true, yeah. So it's just nice to, like, have him be around and back again and as smart and as clever as he's ever been. So it's it's awesome. It's awesome. Yep, agreed. Uh, all right. So now let's get to it. Boom. Bef- bef- what else did you watch before we get to the trial of the Chicago seven? Or did you just watch that on repeat? <laughs> I watched the trial of Chicago seven, seven times and <laughs> nothing else. And I just locked myself in a room and I just watched it over and over again. Okay. So the time has come and it's, <laughs> and it, we have officially reached the trial of the trial. Yes. Of the Chicago Seven. So I am your judge, <laughs> Boom Chica Oprah Jones, <laughs> and I have reached my verdict. Yes. So first things first, um, I find this movie guilty for making me think the actors were going to break out into song in oh, the no. opening <laughs> scene. The music that was playing as they like <laughs> as they quickly introduce all the players made me feel like I was watching Hairspray, and I didn't hate it. Yes. Um, I find this movie guilty for campy costuming and bad wigs. This is a Netflix production. You can afford Brazilian. (laughs) And I find Yaya Abdul Mateen guilty of being the sexiest man in a blue turtleneck since Bobby Seale himself. Mm -hmm. So the defendant catcher is charging this film of being tone deaf, overly aspirational and using the black character solely to seem woke. The court... (laughs) The court finds this film 
to be guilty of adapting a Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial tone, especially with the painful whitewashing of JGL's character. That's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Is that true? Um, Yes. The depiction of his character and his actions in this film is extremely historically inaccurate and, quite frankly, offensive. However... Mm-hmm. The court the court fails to see the story of Bobby Seal as a whatever subplot. Mm-hmm. His presence is integral to the story, and the court feels Sorkin treated it as such. However, the court does recognize the harsh severance and limited afterthought. Um, that did feel a little cold, especially considering how important Bobby's story is to contextualizing how the court is conspiring against the group. Defendant Ian is charging this film with being relevant, meticulously shot, and shouting out one of the best Sorkin scenes of all time. The court agrees with these charges. Mm -hmm. Any scenes that cut between different times with dialogue are done exquisitely. And even though there's like four things happening at once, it's exciting and easy to follow. This is done incredibly during the mock interrogation scene. Mm -hmm. That was absolutely powerful stuff. Yes. Um, the court also finds this film guilty of having the cheesiest ending of, <laughs> of all time. <laughs> yes. So in conclusion, you are both kind of right, but you're also both kind of wrong. Um, and I gave this film three and a half stars. And I sentenced both Ian and Catcher to watching three movie musicals of my choosing. <laughs> Starting with High School Musical oh, 3. Oh, no. uh that was a fair uh, i think that was a fair judgment so i gave it four and a half catch what did you get i think i think it was i think it was three and a half okay i wasn't oh uh, yeah it wasn't so bad like i both i agree about the uh the interrogation scene like the prep that scene was Mm -hmm. truly it was a really really amazing um yeah but like Boom so accurately described many of my feelings just earlier. Uh, you know, I, you know, yes, she, we felt the same way about this. I think, <laughs> I think I won a little. Yeah. I mean, I think that things can still be like relevant and kind of like playing to a certain audience and still be like, feel a little aspirational. So I think like you catcher like gave that as maybe like a bit more of a negative, mm-hmm. but for me, I'm, I think that like maybe some young people watching this or whatever, like, even though it might not be like perfectly accurate or whatever, they kind of might look at it, get a little interested, start Googling some people, you know? Mm-hmm. So I do think it is relatively effective mm-hmm. and nice honestly entertaining like i love that like good heart feel stuff like the ending was cheesy <laughs> the ending yeah, was the, cheesy ending but was cheesy. Uh, yeah i don't know sometimes you just want to feel good nice i will i will accept uh these terms yeah <laughs> nice I'm, I'm excited uh if you have thoughts on the trial of the chicago seven or uh if you have thoughts on rafiki which we're going to discuss or just any thoughts in general you can go ahead and shoot us an email at cinenotspod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. There's been a lot of fun Instagram uh, Q&As happening on there. Uh, it's at Cinenots for both of those. We got our we got some voicemails and emails in that we're going to read at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that. But let's get into our main discussion here. Boom. Where 
are you taking us? Yeah, so we've been to Seoul, South Korea. We've been to Texas. And now here we are in Nairobi, Kenya, um, celebrating and exploring the film Rafiki. Um, So Kenya is a beautiful country in East Africa. However, Kenya is a very socially and politically conservative country. So the LGBTQ plus community in Kenya has little to no rights. This is mostly because of British colonialism. So basically the Brits come in, they fuck shit up, they go, and and when they leave, they leave behind their like shitty laws. One of those laws being that couples or two people of the same sex can't engage in sexual activity. Um, if they do, it is punishable for up to 14 years in prison. Um, same sex couples also can't legally marry and they can't legally adopt. This also applies to transgender folks. Um, So as of recently, we're not really seeing many convictions um, through this law per se. However, it it does contribute to kind of upholding this widespread intolerance um, in Kenya. And another thing that happens quite often is that the police leverage this law to kind of exploit and extort the LGBTQ plus community. So what that looks like is they will perform raids of safe houses or queer friendly bars. Um, they'll slap them with heavy fines to extort them for money. And if they can't pay those fines, they'll threaten them with jail time. Um, but something that has been happening, like in most places in the world, is you are seeing this kind of emergence of activists um, <coughs> this emergence of activists who are mobilizing and fighting back. So we're seeing a lot of protests. We're seeing a lot of petitions and motions being brought to the Kenyan high court. Um, Most recently, one was brought uh, to lift the anti-gay law in May 2019. Um, But unfortunately, it was denied. But the activists activists are continuing to fight. um, So there is some hope there. So in comes uh, Rafiki in 2018. The director, Wanari Kayu, has partnered with this um, South African producer. And basically their idea is to kind of adapt some great African literature into film. So she reads this book called Jamburi Tree, I believe it's called. It's a Ugandan short story. And she immediately gets this idea to adapt it into a film set in Kenya. So Winuri is a Kenyan native and she wants to use this film to kind of inspire the Kenyan people to kind of choose love over intolerance. Um, But what happens next is she brings the film for a rating to the Kenyan Film Classification Board where the classification board puts a ban on the film for depicting homosexuality and lesbianism. Um, And therefore they feel it's being promoted. So she fights this back um, and they come to her with an ultimatum saying if she agrees to change the ending, they will lift the ban of the film. So they believe that the ending of this film is too um, inspirational and they want something that is a little bit more remorseful that will deter people from engaging in a homosexual lifestyle. Because as we all know, homosexuality is like highly contagious. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So like a true queen, um, she refuses to change the ending. And what she does instead is 
she sues the Kenyan Film Classification Board and she My takes goodness. it. Yes. So she takes it to the Kenyan High Court um, to sue. And while this is happening, she's also simultaneously fighting because she wants to be able to enter Rafiki into um like to be considered for the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. But if you want to do that, you would have to have done a screening in your city for at least seven days. So she doesn't get the full ban lifted, but the Kenyan High Court agrees to lift the ban for seven days exactly. Mm. Um, So they proceed with the seven days of screening and and Rafiki plays to a sold-out audience every single night. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Rafiki also becomes the first film to enter the, sorry, the first Kenyan film to enter the Cannes Film Festival where it sees critical acclaim and just widespread, um, acclaim through international audiences. But Rafiki is still banned in Kenya to this day. So that's, uh, that's the story there. And thanks for listening to Synonauts. We'll see you guys. See ya. Peace. (laughs) (laughs) I am very excited about um, for this episode is I do think that um, this story about this film is everywhere. And I do think that it's kind of like a a cloud hanging over the film in a sense. Like, I think it's very important, but I also think it it does take away from it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited for us to just be taking time and kind of like (laughs) exploring this film in depth. I think that is something really special. So. Yeah, thank you for this pick. Uh, I had heard about this movie. I'd seen the poster art. And, you know, when it was making its rounds at Cannes uh, a couple of years ago, I remember hearing about it, but I had never gotten around to it. Yeah. Um, so thank you for choosing this one. I'm, I was I was definitely a fan of it. Uh, so my, my first note that I had for this, and I'm sure you'll hear me talk about this a lot as we go through uh, this sh- podcast, but I love movies that are love letters to the city it takes place in. Absolutely. Um, and Rafiki is 100% that. Like the way the director shows the colors and the culture, the food, the music, like the, she clearly wanted to take every piece of something that they loved uh, of Kenya um, and, you know, and, and put it on a platter for the world to see, which I think is done so, so well in, in this movie. Yeah. Um. One thing that... Like if you watch any interview with Winuri, like she'll say that this was a Kenyan film intended for a Kenyan audience. And you do really get that feeling. But while you're watching it, you're just so excited um, to kind of like be invited in, you know? I Mm -hmm. just off the bat, like I absolutely adored this movie. I think it's phenomenal. It's so fun. Um, It's and everything you guys have said up until this point is completely accurate and totally I feel the same way and what I think is so cool is like after I watch it I I just started like gobbling up any information I could about the movie just like production her points of view what they're trying to get out of it and all this stuff and something I found that was really interesting which Ian will go to your point which was the set for Mama Tin's uh, like her not a restaurant but like her little eating spot kiosk kiosk yeah and I, th- I believe the store, like her father's store, uh, yeah, those were just sets built just like in a town. And all the people that are sort of like in and around are just locals that they filmed while they were mm-hmm. there. And they just set up for a few weeks while they were filming and like lived within the community that they were shooting in. 
Yeah. And you, it feels that way. It just feels so homey somehow. Like you can tell the person yeah. who's from there is shooting this place. They know all these little, like the little spots and these little angles and the, and these little visual markers that just, yeah, they're just, just, yeah, just keep you feeling so immersed in the, in the film, in the, in the area. It's so, so, so special. So special. So the film centers around two uh, females, uh, Kenna, who is played by Samantha uh, Mugatsia, Mugatsia, sorry if I'm Mugatsia, uh, and then Ziki, uh, played by Sheila Muniva. And they are sort of, uh, my note early on in the film was that it's sort of Romeo and Juliet-esque. They're like star-crossed lovers. Like Kenna and Ziki their parents, their dads are both running for basically the equivalent of like a city councilor um, for their neighborhood. And so even before they become like in a relationship, even just them hanging out is sort of causing drama between them. And then there's definitely like parallels along the way of like a Romeo and Juliet star crossovers thing. And I think it's cool because that is like a very universal theme that people can grasp onto. So even if, you know, they're sort of concerned about the language barrier or, oh, like, I don't really know anything about Africa or Kenya. Like, this, like, you can say, oh, it's like a, you know, it's a star-crossed lover story, and it's very easy for people to grasp onto. Um, and so that was something that, that kept me, like, you know, very interested to see, like, how much it was going to parallel throughout the whole thing. Uh, and I think it worked really well. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's cool, again, like I said, I I just started listening to, like, all this stuff from the director and just listening to everything she had to say. And what was really cool about what she was really trying to, how she was really trying to approach this film. She created like a sort of mantra, uh, this thing called Afro bubblegum, which was this idea mm. of creating stories that weren't so bogged down in sort of the death, the famine, the disease of like African stories, the way that they tend to be yeah, shown yeah. and the heaviness of all the mm -hmm. stories that a lot of times are connected to stories in Af that take place within Africa. And, um, what I really liked about what you just said in terms of the Romeo and Juliet thing is that the movie is so great about being so simple. It's not overcomplicated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a very straightforward story. It's about anyone who's ever been in love sort of can understand this situation. And any, and I, even if it's not about sort of your sexual orientation, it's just about two people who are having a hard time being together. And the way that they capture that process and that that um, journey is so well done in, in, in such perfect shots. There's like no wasted uh, time. There's no wasted space. It's just like every 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 part of the movie is working in overdrive. The colors, the shots, like the the mm -hmm. the, the uh, clothing, everything just feels so fun and joyful and. Um, and easy to take in. Like it, it doesn't mm -hmm. bog you down. I think that's so cool. The color in this film is like definitely a standout. Like everything is so vibrant and alive and you're watching it and you're just like, how could people be so homophobic when they're surrounded by like <laughs> so much color and sunlight? Um, but one thing I kind of picked up on while watching this, and I don't know if you guys felt the same way because I felt like the, the colors are very like bold and sharp, but then I kind of like noticed this transition in the, the softer moments when the two girls are together. 
I think that like they soften up on the colors a little bit and it just seems like mm. a little bit lighter. Um, so I, 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 it seems intentional. Um, and I just thought that was really nice. Uh, and the way that they capture the moments when the two girls are like together and alone it is very special. A lot of the exteriors of like the buildings, like the apartments they lived in, they were all pretty run down. Yeah. Like they, they had no paint on like the apartment buildings and they were, you know, the facade was clearly like deteriorating, but when they went inside the house, the colors were all there yeah. and again, like all their, all their outfits and like the beads in the rooms. And for me, that to me, that was, uh, this kind of goes off what Ketra said, like to me, I feel like that was a nice little allegory for how people maybe view Kenya where like on the outside, yeah. you, all you hear are these like awful stories and, totally. and how like, you know, it's a poor country and there's these government issues and all sort of stuff. But when you get into the country, you see the beauty that is there. Uh, and I think that was like represented really well. Yeah. Um, even like the car that they hang out, like that, the VW bus, which shout out, I yep. love that VW yeah. bus. Uh, that's kind of by their secret hangout spot. You know, on the outside, it's covered in like bushes and, and tree leaves and it's like a old car but when you get inside it's like their safe space yes uh and it's like a really beautiful place for them to be in so i think that theme of like the external opinions versus what's yeah. on the inside uh obviously that's very clear for like homophobic people totally. right they're not judging you know um i think it runs through the story yeah. pretty well and and that, that i thought that was a really nice like cinematic touch of uh, the director added into, throughout the movie it's interesting that you brought that up because i mean this movie is such a breath of fresh air um, I think the way like we, especially as like North American, like as a North American audience kind of consume African content is like very sensationalized. Um, mm -hmm. Like when I personally, and this is sad, but like when I think of like African film, the first things that come to my mind is like Blood Diamond or like The Last mm. King of Scotland where Forrest Whitaker and Kerry Washington were in blackface. But Rafiki just kind of like brings it to this like grassroots like level and it seems very authentic um and raw and i thank it for that yeah like movies like district nine um, oh yeah you see district you know district nine that's often like if people think of a south african movie like that's what you're Just thinking like about rundown slums and but it's like rundown slums it's about aliens and I, I i totally get that neil bloomkamp the director was trying to make like an allegory of like retreating you know our own people like these aliens like that makes sense to me but it is like you know, a movie like Rafiki where it is grounded in reality yeah. that shows like you don't have to make this, you don't have to make a genre movie to talk about Africa in film. Exactly. Um, well, because there's so much yeah. more. It, Africa is a ginormous continent, the biggest in the world. There's so many right. countries yeah. there. Like society <laughs> is not the same all over Africa. You know, it's like every, totally. each place has its own culture, has its own uh, aesthetic, has their, you know, and, and yeah. this, this is, re it, this is doing such great service to showing life yeah. as normal people would and not what everyone totally. expects, you know, um, just to, in terms of what you were saying about color, just before we go too far from that again, in my research, mm -hmm. listening to her talk, the colors in this movie, <laughs> super intentional. So the influence was, were roses. So if you notice throughout the film, there are a lot mm -hmm. of flowers that are used, especially yeah. like in the title card sequences. There's lots of flowers coming out of people's faces and things like that. The way it's like collaged yeah. together. Um, and then, oh, I love the title. Oh, yeah, sorry. no, no, the title cards are so yeah. beautiful and so well made. I think, um, but yeah, so the idea is it's like the the life cycle of a rose. So at the beginning, all the colors in the movie are bright and saturated and alive and energetic and feeling so great. 
And then as the film progresses, the color gets removed slowly and it becomes more and uh, more pale and less saturated. Um, and you get mm. that changeover when they're in the jail cell, uh, sort of like when they're being held in the jail, in jail, the colors there mm -hmm. swap from these like pinks and yellows and oranges and all that stuff. And they go into like these like yes. dark greens and dark blues and like things muddy, like that. Muddy, yeah. Exactly. And it's sort of that, it's a story at the end of the day, there's a lot of the context is really helpful and everything you said, boom is like super vital to the context of understanding where this movie exists. But what I think is mm -hmm. so important about this movie and what this Afro bubblegum thing is about is just showing a simple story and just showing the frivolous 100%. stuff and just not making it so heavy. And like, it's so cool to just watch a great film be presented to you and have all that yeah. stuff be integrated into the world in a natural way, but not have it mm -hmm. be so heavy handed. And so yeah. it's like such smart storytelling is happening on screen. And that's what makes this film so good. Yeah. I think it's just like a strong it's, director it's very, with strong vision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very simple and intricate and it hits heavy when it needs to, but yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Kenna and Zeke. So the two are like very different personality-wise. Yeah. Uh, Zeke, she has these awesome like rain, not rainbow, but very bright pastel-y wrapped hair that's like really beautiful to look at. And she's a dancer and she has like her her girl squad a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you can tell she kind of like lives her life very like carefree. Uh, and then Kenna, she is a lot... Um, her personality is a lot more quiet. She works with her dad's, her dad's kiosk and stuff like, or her mom's kiosk. Very like down to earth, plays soccer with the guys, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think the relationship developed throughout the movie? Because I have, I have something that struck me when we get to the end, like struck me very hard at the end of their, at the end of the story. But what did you guys think about how their relationship developed from, from start to finish? The tension, like... So you can't, you're kind of getting everything. Uh, you're getting a lot of insight from Kenna's um, gaze for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. And the way, so, you know, you they're out in the slopes and they kind of are coming across each other. And then the way that they look at each other and there's like so far apart and the way that they're connecting and like the, the tension and intrigue um, and like curiosity and all of that, that's building is just so, uh, like palpable. Is that the word? Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, um, and it really like penetrates through to the audience and it's very exciting. And then the way that I find the relationship develops is very interesting because you see, like you said, uh, Zeke is like, Zeke's a lot more carefree and Kenna is the one she's like a little bit more reserved, but you can, the actress, like she does such a good job at bringing up that feeling where you can see that she's like very hesitant to say something. So like one of my favorite moments is when they're in the club and Zeke's mm -hmm. like, you know, if we were together alone, what would we do? And obviously Zeke's looking for some like sexy talk and and Kenna's just like, well, like we'd go for night drives and like, she's just so innocent, but you, you know, she knows, like, you know what she wants to say, but like, you know, that she's resisting and, and it's really great. I just like the, the chemistry between these two is just insane. It's insane. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. even care. Like it, it's, it's incredible. And both of them are Kenna. Um, so Samantha Mugatsia. 
She's mm. never acted before. What? Wow. Yeah. Winuri, the director, found her at a party and was like, that's my Kenna. <laughs> and she like approached her and then they like did the shoot and they just had an acting coach on set. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. The rest is wow. history. Her performance is so good. It's so nuanced, like you were saying. Like, it, you do mm-hmm. get the vibe, like, at the beginning of the movie that they've been sort of eyeing each other for a while. Like, this isn't... For a while, it wasn't. This yeah. isn't the first time they've looked at each other. And to get that across in order to sort of, like, propel the, the story forward a little bit quicker instead of having to deal with the sort of, like, buildup, it's like you already know, like, okay, they want each other, but they both totally. don't know how the other one feels yet. And the way yeah. they're started, that, that beginning of the exploration of that and the way it starts and the way that they have to like wrap it up in this friendship and that no one sees what's going on is totally mind boggling to me, but it, but, but people do see what's going on. I guess that's true. Yeah. I guess they're maybe not like willing to admit what's going on is maybe more of the situation, but um, yeah, it's so fun. And when they steal away, when it starts raining during that soccer game and they steal away into the car, I was just like, Whoa, what is this? I was so impressed by like, because the car is like, like you said, Ian's like covered and full of all these vines, but there's all these flowers around it, you know, and it's this sort, mm-hmm. it, sort of like bright palette. And they go in. I was like, this is where they're going to kiss. And I made like a note like this. It's so beautiful how they set this up when they first kiss and then they don't. And then I had to go back and I was like, mm-hmm. when they don't kiss. And I was like, how could they not have kissed right now? <laughs> Who drops the ball? And it's like, it is that sort of you are so much more reserved yeah. when everyone else around you is saying you're not allowed to be the person that you are. And totally. so you're so cautious mm-hmm. where even a moment like as clear as this, like this was your chance to lay it on her. She said she doesn't do it because it's just like, it's, she's so worried and it's, it's so telling yeah. when you don't know, you don't want to act on something when you care about something so much and you're into something so much, the last thing you want to do is ruin it by trying to make it real. And in that scene, speaking of the flowers actually noted. So the first time they go into the, to the van, uh, it's when Zeke is basically, you know, hoping they, they get to kiss behind Zeke or like these purple flowers that are out of focus. And then on Kenna's side, it's just blank. So, (gasps) so it's, yeah. So behind her window, there's no flowers or anything. So it's sort of just like, you know, tell you know the director uh, Wainuri. She's saying, you know, you know, Ken is not there quite yet, yeah. which I thought was really cool. Um, so something that that really stuck out to me that I really really liked in 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 the writing of this movie is so basically the whole movie Zeke or not the whole movie. Once they start the relationship, Zeke is the one trying to be more public about the relationship, trying to be like, you know, why can't you just be me? Like we should travel together, blah, blah, blah. We need to be open about this. Like this should be real. Um, and then when things get like real, Zeke is the one who turns it off. So they get dragged out of this van, they get beat up, they get taken to jail. Uh, and then when they're in jail, Kenna, who was the one trying to like hide their feelings was actually trying to reach for Zeke's hand. And Zeke is the one not wanting to do with it. She doesn't want to talk to her. She ends up leaving the country for a little bit. And I thought that was like really, really powerful. It is. Because, you know, it's like Zeke was sort of living in like this fairy, like almost like a fairy tale sort of thing. Like the way she was kind of speaking about how she wanted her life to live. Yep. And Kenna was being like, unfortunately, like very realistic about it. Like we can't do this. Like we're in church right now. Yeah. You know, people won't accept it. Our parents are running against each other, all this sorts of stuff. 
Uh, and I thought that was such great writing. Like that was a very cool way to do that. That when yeah. it got real, Kenna was there and Zeke wanted to back out. I thought that was totally. Great. It was that flip was so interesting because you're watching like the whole film. Zeke is like slowly like coaxing or not even coaxing, but just kind of like pulling Kenna out of her comfort zone. And then this like incident happens where like they're assaulted and then they just, they just switch. And it's just, it's just, yeah, it is very powerful because it's just kind of like Zeke has been like woken up to like the reality of the situation and Kenna Mm -hmm. has been, and Kenna has also been woken up, but in a different way. She's just like, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to fight for. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's brilliant. She wakes up to the realities of like the world around mm-hmm. her and Kenna opens up to like the realities of herself, you know, and yeah. that's what's so mm. cool. It's like it, it it is that growth. It's like everyone's got that first love, you know, that first relationship that sort of like yeah. makes you realize, oh, you can feel things that you, you thought you only saw in movies or things that you you saw outside of yourself. And it's cool to have that. Like it's it's that perfect like first love story where. Okay, yeah, now you can you can feel something outside of yourself for someone else. And that's such a cool that's yeah, I I think the way they handle that is so so good. Some other key players in the film are their parents. So Kenna's dad specifically, and then Zeke's dad. So they're both running against each other for like ACB, which is like basically a local council councilman. Um and when this same scene where they're in jail. Uh, you kind of expect both dads to not be happy and to be pretty pissed off that, you know, this is illegal in the country. Um, and Kenna's dad, who had been running for this office for a long time and wanted this job and has basically appointed it unofficially, it seems like before this mm-hmm. actual election, he is the one who's like, this sucks, but, you know, I accept that this is where you want to be mm-hmm. and, you know, screw my campaign. And, you know, he argue he is actually defending her to her mother and her mother is the one saying, like, we need to take her to church and get her like exercise and all this stuff. And, and her dad is trying to do it. And then on the flip side, Zeke's dad, you know, both her parents are very strict on it. They drag her away. They say, Kenny, you cannot look at her again. Uh, and then Slap, the next, he slaps her, too. Yeah. He slaps oh. her. Yeah. And then the next scene, there's a little 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 maybe a little tongue in cheek for me, a little eye wink to the audience. But. You know, it shows Kenna's dad pulling down his campaign posters. And then it shows Zeke's dad putting up the campaign posters that says like the progressive party, which I think is like a, a little nod, like, you know, how progressive is the progressive party oh, here? I didn't even um, catch that. I, I thought that was, an, uh, yeah, it was a little, little touch there um, that I thought was interesting. But, um, you know, the do you have any thoughts on on the parents, either the, the mothers or the fathers? So specifically Kenna's dad, I think this is kind of just like where, um, representation comes into play and kind of like what Winery was looking to do by just kind of like telling this like very real story. Basically, like when I was doing research for this, like the Kenyan media would have you believe that like having a gay child is outrageous. It's a sin. Like, you know, you have to send them away and that often happens. That's what happens to Zeke. Um, but Mm -hmm. I think that there was so much power in showing and making the decision to have, uh, Kenna's dad be that supportive figure. And what it comes down to, like, you don't really know what his beliefs are. You don't really know like the extent of his, um, like acceptance or tolerance or whatever, 
But in that moment, he's looking at his daughter and he's worried about his daughter. He cares about his daughter. He'll do anything for her. And I think that is very important. Yeah, I find it interesting just because as we were talking before about the differences between them and the sort of the progress they go through. I find it interesting that like Ziggy is the one who comes from a more affluent family and sh- mm-hmm. and her sort of carefreeness comes from that the sort of carefreeness that like money can provide people often of like sort of living outside the realities of the world you live in. And I, I think what's really cool is the way that when Kenna's dad reacts the way he does, like I think you're, you're left throughout the whole film not really knowing, like you guys have both stated, like where he's going to come down on this issue. And the way that he just immediately drops all of the other nonsense, which throughout the whole movie, like his campaign has been the thing they've argued about. It's the biggest thing that's going on. And like for him to drop that, to just mm-hmm. embrace her is just like the moment that you really just super need at that point in the movie. You're just like, I don't want to, this, none of this is okay. I can't, I'm not really loving the feel, how I'm feeling, what I'm seeing happen to these people that I care about. Mm-hmm. And for him to just come and give this like big hug and just embrace her and embrace her physically, but like who she is as a person is so wonderful. And the way that he supports her with her mother like her ex, his ex-wife, like he knows they're already on shaky ground, but he knows that it's not important. He says as much, none of that stuff is important now. She's important. She's our daughter. We need to make sure that she's okay. And I just think that's such a lovely thing to see. It's like, call me by your name. The same thing. It's like the father at the end of that movie where he gives that wonderful speech about just embracing life and all the complications that come with it. You know, it's just, it's so, these kinds of, caring thoughtful father figures in films are so vitally important um but Mm -hmm. just for the story it just like gives you all the feels two things i really loved about the film um one thing was the silent man that we see throughout do you do you guys know who i'm talking about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was amazing um i think it's just it does a very good job at kind of like setting up like the climate and what's going on. Visual storytelling. Like it's not telling you, hey, gays aren't wanted here. It's just like, here's a guy and this is what they're saying about him. Yeah. And then you see him like walking by and he has like a black eye and that's like a little bit of foreshadowing uh, for what's going to happen to Kenna. And then we see him again in the end. So that Mm -hmm. is something that, and we also see him in church as well. Um, and we zoom on in on his face at for a moment. And so that is something that I really loved. And then just in terms of the environment and the way Winery creates that environment, I definitely want to shout out like the direction and the way she kind of, um, like she's definitely very ambitious, but she does this really good job at like situating the lack of privacy that's like going on in the slopes like almost in the style of it follows, you know, mm, mm-hmm. like I know, like, nice. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just like, obviously it's not like something evil that's like coming right at them, but you see in the background, like these people listening in, you see these people in a distance and you feel like the girls never have any privacy. So that is just something that's done. Like, you, you can just feel the intrusion and that's just something that's done like very effectively. Mama Atim and her like daughter, I guess that's her daughter, yes. right? They're like 
Yeah, I th- that's what I there's, assume. There's, yeah. there's, I can't remember what scene specifically. Oh, it's at the church. So when when Zeke is trying to like touch her hand and she's like telling her no, and they leave in the middle of mass, and then she then the the Mama Atem's daughter like gets up, and then as they're having their sort of personal exchange, you can see her in the background just like scoping out what's going on, and I sort mm-hmm. of like love that. So like as much as it's like going to be the fall of them. It's kind of cool to see this sort of like small town gossip in action, you know, yeah. and like this All is the gossipy yeah. aunties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone's right. trying to sort out the tea <laughs> of what's happening, you know, and it's like they are, they like sh- little eateries like that are totally like the home of gossiping and like where gossip yeah. gets floated around. And I love that they, they take that job on very, they take that job like very seriously. Like that's it. And they get a sort of at the beginning, a little bit of cr- like, credibility by saying like yeah she always talks her mouth but she's always right and i love Mm. that idea that they are like they're on the pulse of what's happening in this town i just think that's so cool so that was rafiki obviously there are tons and tons of layers to peel off on this film uh so if you haven't seen it yet thanks for listening but you can check it out it's on criterion collection on the criterion channel right now to stream if you subscribe to that or you can rent it um, it's available everywhere. Please do. Please seriously watch this movie. Like, it's so good. Like, I was really blown away by how much I love this movie. I think it's immaculate. Immaculate. It's Okay. Wonderful. I would like to note that the catcher's little spiel right there was literally me two years ago when I saw this movie <laughs> to him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's taken till now. I'm the oh, but my yes, goodness. We had to start a it. podcast <laughs> yeah. to, to get him to watch us. Unreal. I'm a fool. Let's go to our criterion moments. So every week we choose what is our scene or moment from the film that we think made it uh, worthy to be selected to be in the criterion collection, or in this case, uh, curated to the criterion channel. Um, Kutcher, why don't you go first? I love the final shot. The final shot is so great because Mm -hmm. it it, it does end on a hopeful note, which is exactly what the director Mm -hmm. was hoping to do exactly what she was fighting for. And when I, when it ended, I was like, um, okay, what, what was that? Who was that? And, and then it, I cut back to when she's sitting with Blacksta, her friend, uh, she has a friend named Blacksta and, and he's been trying to like woo her throughout the film and he brings her to this hill and she starts thinking and talking and instead of seeing him, she sees Ziki and you get, I got that same sort of vibe. Like, I don't think that hand is really there. But, you know, I think... No, the hand is there. No, for me, I don't think... I know, I think... No, for me, the hand... Maybe we need to talk about this right now. Because to me, I don't think the hand is there. To me, it's like... I'll tell you you my (laughs) point of view and then you tell me yours. Because you may be right and you may sway me. But for me... Don't break my heart. No, but the story of the film is like... She needed this relationship to become more of who she is. And that will... She will never leave her. She will always be a part of who she is, but she is going to move forward and move on with her life. And she's going to be a nurse and she's going to be the person she wants and meet someone. A doctor. A doctor. Oh, yeah. She's a doctor, right? That was the whole point. Yeah. Stupid. Sorry. But yeah. But that idea mm-hmm. that like she's going to move forward and she's going to live her life and she's going to be a more fulfilled and more complete person because of this relationship. And she will never not be with her. But I, I, for me, the hand is her realizing that she's going to take her with her and that's going to be enough. But boom. I don't have a strong enough argument for this because I never considered that as a reality. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and that makes it the best criterion I, moment because it just is inter- open to interpretation, and that's what it's, it, that's it, what it's all about. It's open to interpretation, yes. And there is a moment I don't know if you guys caught this, but when she is a doctor and she goes into her locker, did you see like pictures on her on Kenna's locker, and it looked like pictures like of a family? Oh no! Like like a nuclear family. Oh, interesting. Um, I like didn't with catch her, that. Like her within the nuclear family sort of photo. Yeah, okay, okay. but I see. I went back and tried to catch it, but it just like happened so fast. You can't really tell. Hmm. Um, so I was just like, is she in like a, a heterosexual like marriage oh. or like I don't know. But interesting. Um, yeah, but no the the ending is real, and I refuse to believe anything else. I side with Boom on this okay. for the record. Thank you so but much. But I appreciate that insight, okay. Catcher. I, I do appreciate yeah. that. Boom, what about you? What is your Criterion moment? So my Criterion uh, moment is kind of right before the end. It's after uh, Kenna confronts Ziki, and Ziki's going to London, and then she goes back to the van and sits there, and then the young, silent man comes and sits down beside her. Um, so, yeah, like, she's just been beaten she's had her heart broken and you know even though we never see kenna like defending this man throughout the film even though she is in Mm -hmm. positions to do so um Mm -hmm. i think he i just think the beauty of that moment is just kind of like the queer community just doing what it does best um and they're just extremely resilient and full of love and support unspoken or spoken um and in that moment you know that kenna isn't alone even though she feels that way she's not and never will be so i really love that moment and yours so my criterion moment was when they go on their first like quote-unquote date um like i said before i love any movie that is a love letter to the city Mm -hmm. that it takes place in um and when they go to the nightclub and they're driving, you know, they get picked up in that, in that uh, cab and yeah. on, they're just driving around the city. I mean, it's so cool. Like it's just a very beautiful moment that just shows um, all that, you know, the city and the country has to offer to its people. Um, and it's very, you know, a very hopeful moment for not only the characters, but for, again, like the perspective of how people see it in the world. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I thought that was really, really great. And it, it just highlights a lot of really, of the awesome cinematography that we had talked about and, and their chemistry together. It just hits all the marks for me. So I, I thought that was great. Yes. Let's go to our criterion pairings, uh, which we still need a name for. We got an email about that, but we'll, we'll come to that later, but let's, let's see what we would pair this film with. I'll go first on this. Um, so for me, my pairing would be to go and watch the Anthony Bourdain, no reservations episode where he goes to Kenya I believe it's season two, um, or sorry, sorry, I think it's season twelve. Some somewhere there, I could be wrong on that. But uh, another really great movie. I love loved Anthony Bourdain. Love him still. I love all his shows, um, and he does such a good job of showing. Uh, he goes to these countries that have such poor exteriors, especially to Western culture and Western civilizations. Mm-hmm. That was weird to say, uh, especially to Western pop culture. And he captures Kenya so well, and I think it has a lot of the same. Uh, optimism and hope uh, that is shown in Rafiki. So that'll be my pick. Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations episode on Kenya. Lovely. Okay, so I'm going to rep some CanCon this week. <laughs> um, I was 
there was like a lot of things I kind of wanted to throw up for this pairing, but I kind of decided, especially with the week that we've all had, I've decided to go with something like <laughs> light and endearing. Um, so mm-hmm. my pairing is going to be the Canadian, um, the Canadian classic, or I guess a new classic, Shit's Creek. And what you'll find is just some like super wholesome queer content. You know, it's not riddled with kind of like the hardships of your identity, which is kind of nice. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to like whitewash it or downplay like the queer struggle, but representation is important. And I think this show does a great job at like normalizing and celebrating queerness in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And my Jada Pinkett pairing is the <laughs> love letter that Tupac wrote her because black love is beautiful love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As displayed in Rafiki, so. Yes. Amazing. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Catcher, what about you? Okay. um, I have a simple one. It's not going to take too much of your time. It's a a music video. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the artist is Ray Black. And uh, my girlfriend uh, pointed this video out to me, I don't know, a few months months ago maybe, and telling me the story behind the video, which is really cool. And as soon as... As uh, we mentioned the movie and I started looking into what it was about, I instantly knew exactly what I was going to pair the movie with. So uh, the artist is Ray Black and the song is called Chill Out. Um, so the themes of uh, the the song itself are pretty cool and pretty chill. So it's basically about a woman who is in sort of like a casual relationship with a dude and she only ever calls him when she's feeling lonely and he's sort of like fighting back on it and being like, yo, let's get serious. And she's just like, yo, chill out. Like, I'm doing my thing. I'll call you when I need you. And otherwise, don't call me because I don't need you. Uh, so the video is cool because it's shot on location in Africa. And it stars Ray Black, but it also stars the Gully Queens, which are a group of, uh, yeah, so they're, so they're a group of uh, trans and uh, queer people who have been basically ostracized from their homes and they are mm. forced to basically live together, not in secret because people know, but they are left sort of living in exile. And uh, what's really great about the video is it's them dancing and being 100% who they are and living their life and living their best selves and just dancing and having a good time and smiling. And it's such an empowering video and it's, got such a great message and the song of course is fun and you can sing along and everyone's got those feelings of like just wanting to like own your shit but the video is just like shedding light on a really like when you talk about people who are like marginalized this is like the marginalized of the marginalized and to Mm -hmm. see them like living their truth is honestly super inspiring so it's ray black chill out the gully queens forever you have to check that video out it's awesome bless up Nice. The Gully Queens. I have not heard of that, but I I love that name. Wrapping up here, what are our our ratings? I'm sort of like teetering. I haven't actually really come down. I hadn't really thought about it. I just had such a great time. Mm -hmm. And I realized earlier you had mentioned some, you mentioned a rating of some kind. And I was like, oh, I hadn't even really thought about this. (laughs) Um, It's just a movie that like, I don't know. I think for me, it's got to be probably four and a half or five. It's probably Mm -hmm. five, honestly, because yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to watch it again right away there's so much you can get out of it on multiple viewings i can already tell and but at the end of the day it's such a simple straightforward story that is told using all of the skills 
all of the all of the options, all of the things that you have in uh, in your hand when you make a film, the look, the sound, the feel, all of that, everything, and they're executing perfect on all of that. There's no wasted space. There's no fat. So yeah, five stars for sure. Five out of five. Wow, five out of five. Nice. Uh, I'm gonna go with four stars. I really really enjoyed the film. The only things I had issues with is I thought like I appreciate the hour 20 runtime like that's great but i think there could have been a little more like i think it ended a little abruptly for me uh, i just wanted more out of the story some of the pacing could have been modified a little bit here and there but overall i mean i thought i thought it was great it's absolutely worth the watch for for anyone to watch and and i think is my first film out of kenya so uh, i'm eager to, hey. to see what Same. other movies um you know have come out of there I agree with you, and I'm also going to give it a four. I love this movie with my whole heart. Um, I do think that there are some kind of, I don't want to call them issues, but there's like um, some editing stuff that I think kind of like takes me out of the world a little bit, mm. specifically when the girls um, are on the roof for the first time. I think the way that that was shot was like really confusing. Mm. I almost thought that there was like, it was like a glitch. Um <laughs> Which, which honestly, like, it's a beautiful movie and it's amazing. But, like, yeah. that to me was just, like, kind of terrible. But other than that, like, I love this movie with my whole heart and I will watch it forever and ever. And if I ever have kids, I will show them this movie. And, yeah. And I will <laughs> continue to force people to watch this movie. And, yeah. Yeah. You can love a movie with all your heart and not have it be a perfect 5-5. Five five. I think oh, that, yeah. is a very, that is a very, very fair thing to say that we will set up and establish here on Cinenauts. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, and I, I, ideally, not every. Mo I know this is the criterion, and we're like sort of film nerds, and we love film. I'm hoping that not every film is going to be a five out of five for me. Like we did a five oh, yeah. for Parasite, and four and a half for Texas. And this is five, but truly, like this movie, like got to me in a way that I was not yeah. expecting to. And it's just, yeah, we're gonna hate some of these movies. It just won't be these <laughs> <Yeah>. ones yet. <laughs> just wait until we get to like my list of things that I want in the criterion. <laughs> We're going to be throwing some twos, some ones. Uh, I'm looking forward to all those. Mm -hmm. uh, so now let's get, we got our first batch of emails or second batch of emails and voicemails. So if you want to shoot us those on your thoughts um, for Rafiki, the show in general, or our next pick, which uh, I'm making, and I'll make after this, make the big announcement. Uh, shoot us an email, sitanotspod at gmail.com. Let's, let's read them first. So our first one, comes from Corey. Uh, hey, Knots. Corey from Austin, Texas, writing in. Your show has expanded my pod universe. It started with Bat and Spider. Shout out, Bat and Spider. Then grew to include the great Dune pod. Shout out to Dune pod as well. Catcher is on that quite often. Uh, not long after I joined in with the Rollicking crew and their VHS village at 70mm. Shout out to all the other great podcasts if you haven't listened to them before. Thanks, Corey. You three have really started strong with two great films. Parasite was a movie... I went into blind and was completely blown away. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my top three favorite films of all time. I'm assuming y'all are younger than me, parentheses, I'm 48. And I loved hearing y'all's thoughts on Chainsaw. I'm a huge fan of Franklin, which is controversial among, among my age bracket. So I was stoked to hear cries of justice for Franklin. Justice for Franklin. Justice In for my Franklin. research, I did find that a lot of people really did not like Franklin, the character. So I'm glad that Corey called that out. Uh, he, I think the pairing segment is fantastic and I'm not sure if it needs a different name. So he's cool with it. I think we'll immediately get what y'all are syncing up with flavor profiles. Uh, maybe if y'all said it with exaggerated French accent, 
it would create a je ne sais quoi you're looking for. So a little <laughs> more specific. Is that specific. your French accent? That's a je ne sais quoi. Uh, je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. We have people who hear French more often than I do, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, his pairing for Parasite would be the 1986 comedy Down and Out in Beverly Hills. And for Texas Chainsaw Massacre would be Carl J. Clover's book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. I've not heard of that book, but that sounds interesting. Keep up the good work, and I'm looking forward to another great movie podcast to brighten up my commute to and from work. You're about Corey. Corey, thank you for that awesome email. Amazing. Very humble. Yes. Thank you, Corey. Yes. I love the, I'm going to check out those pairings as well. First book pairing also. I don't think any of us have done a book yet. Yeah. I think he, I posted that as a, he, he slid into our DMs. And oh, he sent nice. us, mm. he sent us that, showed us that book and I'm, I'm super hyped to read it. Nice. Yeah. It looks super interesting. This is from our old pal Slim at 70 millimeter and paper keg and interview with the podcast vampire, the man who <laughs> set up Catcher and I and our future together. And now boom as Aww. well, indirectly. Uh, friends, first time, long time. During the Chainsaw app, I don't think there was enough time spent on that goober winning a fight with a girl using a literal broom. <laughs> it was a freaking broom. Unreal gibberish. It was might have terrible. to do might have to do an extended cut for that broom, that yeah. broom discussion. Right. There's a reason why it's on the cover. Just like a special app. Where <laughs> we Maybe we can compile all of the worst fights we come across uh, and then rank them at some point in the future. Yeah, they win, so a, they win the golden broom. That's <laughs> right. what they win. Golden broom. Nice. Yeah, all right. That's, that's trademarked officially yeah. by Synonauts. That's right. Our lawyers will draft up the papers. Uh, so that's ours. Uh, my son says to call the segment pick and pair, but I understand not <laughs> choosing that. Shout out to Thanks, James. James. Thanks, James. That's adorable. That I didn't adorable. know kids, kids were listening to this, so maybe I'll stop swearing as much. <laughs> uh, thank you for your time. Synonaut from Sector 215 signing off. Thank you, Slim. Uh, and then we got some voicemails too. So let's start off with this one. We have uh, this first one is from our buddy Jason Goldman, one of the co-hosts of Dune Pod. Hey, Synonauts. This is Jason. Uh, I just wanted to call and congratulate you on the launch of your pod. I think it's such a great idea to a podcast centered around the movies of the Criterion Collection. I'm really excited to hear what you get into, and I love the discussion around Parasite. Uh, I thought it was uh, I was really well-informed, and I learned a lot about a movie I, I love. I also love the pairings feature uh, that you guys introduced, and I'm excited to see uh, what else you put in the, um, the letter bento box oh. uh, with Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. I would probably choose something light, like, um, I don't know, Brewster's Millions or something. Anyway, excited to hear what you guys choose. Thanks for that, Jason. And for those who don't know, we recorded the first two episodes ahead of time just to give ourselves a little runway and practice there. So that's why they came in a little late. But uh, thanks, Jason. Let's go, since we're on Dune Pod, let's go to our other Dune Pod host, H. He left us uh, a voicemail as well. Greetings, Cynonauts. It's H. I've been listening to Ian and Catcher on podcasts for a long time. And boom, it's great to meet you and get your insights as well. You guys are a fantastic team and it's really fun listening to you. The Parasite and Texas Chainsaw Massacre episodes were both dope. Um, personally, I always was way too creeped out to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. As you should but be. But actually, maybe not as creeped out as I was watching the sex scene on the couch in Parasite <laughs> <laughs> while I was sitting in the same room as my mother-in-law. Oh, oh no. no. Also, I don't know if it's in the Criterion Collection, but Jada Pinkett Smith is queen in Matrix Reloaded. Yes. Can't wait to hear where your mission takes you next. Peace. That's, Thank you. That Age. was amazing. Also, first there, Jada Pinkett shout out. 
Thank you. And we need more of them. People, if you're on our Instagram, tag Jada. Thank you so much. We, <laughs> us synonauts want to be invited to the red table. And then last, this is from our dear friend, Mikey P. Hey, synonauts. This is Here Mikey P. I just wanted to say... Uh, this is a blessing of a podcast. I was going to cancel my Criterion Channel subscription so at the I. end of the summer, kind of <laughs> looking for, not sure what I was doing. And so your podcast definitely keeps me in and I'm in it for as long as you guys are. Rafiki's beautiful. Thank you, Boom, for, for recommending it. I love the way it's shot, that like bleeding sun lens in the, in the camera. I live for those shots and it was full of it. Um, the color palette, it was like walking through like an art gallery. I feel like I visited mm-hmm. the country. Um, and the acting especially was was amazing. Kenna especially, I thought she said a lot like with her, with just yes. a look. And you could tell a lot of thought was going in underneath. And I love those kind of performances. So thank you. Um, just want to send a quick voicemail saying, awesome job with the pod. Looking forward to it. Okay, bye. Mikey P, Aww, you, thank you saint Angel. of a man. Angel. Angel. Uh, if you want to shoot us an email again or a voicemail, you can shoot over that email, that voicemail to cinnanospod uh, at gmail.com. All right. So let's get to our next mission for episode four. Oh, what's uh, it going to be? We've been to Texas. We've been to Korea. We've been to Africa. So now I'm going to take us back to 1964 London uh, involving some folks known as the Beatles. Oof. And watching a hard day's night. Ah. Uh, I I was trying to I was gonna hold off on this one for a little bit, but I think again I think Boom hit on the head. Given the stressful weeks uh, everyone has gone into, I would love to watch a movie that is just about the Beatles, my favorite band of all time. Amazing. So I will be really hurt if you guys uh, tear this one apart. This is number seven uh, seven hundred eleven to the Criterion Collection. It is also available to stream on the Criterion Channel and HBO Max. So if you haven't watched it and you want to watch along with us, shoot us an email, leave us a voicemail, go watch it there. A Hard Day's Night, 1964, directed by Richard Lester, starring the Beatles. I'm very excited. But have you ever seen this movie? I've never seen it. I am stoked. I just like Googled it and nice. yay. Have you seen it? Uh, like clips, but not like the whole thing. Is it a musical? Um, yeah, this is what I was going to say. So does this count <laughs> for a musical? This does count um, as a musical. Not of my... <laughs> Not of my choosing, though. That's true. The oh, punishment so, was for so the choosing. punishment is you choose. I'm choosing okay. all the musicals. Okay. I'm the captain. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, next week, uh, a hard day's night. This is awesome. I'm excited. Yes, I'm, I'm excited. Excited about this. as well. Thank you. Nicely done, Ian. That was Rafiki. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, boom catcher, I will miss you. Your face is sorely over the next week until we speak again. Can't See wait. you next uh, Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk to you all later. Bye. 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 Bye.